There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Health Essentials Podcast brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. I'm your host, Deanna Pogorels. Now, studies from hotspots of the COVID-19 pandemic, including Chicago and New York, are showing that African Americans are being hospitalized with and dying from COVID-19 at a disproportionately high rate. These statistics highlight some of the health disparities that have existed in our country for a long time, and specifically their impact on minority communities. Joining us today for a conversation on this important topic is Dr. Charles Modlin. He's a practicing urologist and kidney transplant surgeon and serves as the executive director of Minority Health for Cleveland Clinic. He's also founder and director of Cleveland Clinic's Minority Men's Health Center. Hi, Dr. Modlin. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Please remember this is for informational purposes only and is not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So Dr. Modlin, if you don't mind, I was hoping we could start by defining and maybe giving some context to some of the terms that are probably going to come up in this conversation and that people might be hearing in other conversations. So maybe we can start just by explaining what is a health disparity. Okay, so health disparities refers to a situation where a certain percentage of the population or a certain segment of the population suffers a disproportionate burden uh, of a certain uh, health concern. Um, and poor health outcomes. And some examples, uh, especially in African-Americans, are higher rates of hypertension uh, compared to the, the uh, majority population, higher rates of diabetes, kidney disease, a variety of cancers, heart disease. These, these are some examples of health disparities. And then when you look at the African-American population, a lot of these healthcare disparities collectively um, contribute to the shorter life expectancy that many African-Americans experience compared to their white uh, counterparts. Uh, black men, for example, have about a six to eight shorter life expectancy than, than white men. And, and see, these are just some of the examples of the healthcare disparities and there are a variety of contributing uh, causes uh, of these healthcare disparities that we see. Yeah, can you talk about some of the uh, social or economic factors that contribute to these disparities? Sure. So. Um, healthcare providers, um, policymakers, uh, we're all becoming more aware of the existence of healthcare disparities. I remember um, when I was in medical school, residency, internship, I don't ever remember hearing the word healthcare disparities. It wasn't really until I finished my kidney transplant fellowship I was able to step back and take a broader view of the uh, healthcare landscape. And I learned about an initiative, it was uh, President uh, Clinton's initiative. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services back in the 90s called Healthy People 2000. It was an initiative designed to nationwide eliminate healthcare disparities by the year 2000. Uh, then President Bush had, had Healthy People 2010, President Obama 2020. Um, some examples of the social determinants of health or the, the contributing causes of these healthcare disparities of, of which we speak are situations in, in which many minorities find themselves in. Um, at, at no fault of their own. Economic um, uh, despair, um, you know, relates to or contributes to lack of access to quality health care. Many individuals uh, don't have adequate uh, health insurance, uh, health coverage at all, dental in insurance, and so they go without 
uh, proper uh, preventative uh, health screenings. A lot of these individuals show up in the ER um, in, with late stage disease. Uh, some other uh, examples of social determinants of health uh, include living conditions. Uh, we all know that there's a lead problem, um, not only in the city of Cleveland, uh, Flint, Michigan, and other locations. Uh, uh, many major cities actually uh, have, have lead problems. And then kids who are exposed to lead um, become lead, have developed lead toxicity, which uh, contributes to delayed um, um, mental um, uh, abilities. Um, um, living in food deserts, uh, lack of proper nutrition. Uh, many people live in communities where it's not really safe to go out and, and walk or exercise. Uh, may, they may live in, in dangerous uh, situations. Transportation, uh, many African-Americans uh, rely upon public transportation. And when we talk about the COVID-19 pandemic, that actually contributes to uh, greater difficulty in, in social distancing. Uh, the types of jobs uh, that many uh, minorities in particular uh, have um, don't, do not allow them to stay home uh, and, and work from home. Um, actually, there, there was uh, some research that showed um, from the Department of Labor Statistics showed that uh, African-Americans, only about 20% of African-Americans have the ability to work from home compared to about 30% or more uh, white Americans. And, and so these are just some of the uh, social determinants of health. And of course, um, lower education rates um, it, that many minorities uh, experience, all these collectively uh, contribute to the social determinants of health. And more recently, I think many of us have actually recognized this, but more recently it's become nationally recognized and acknowledged that race and racism, race and racism itself actually contributes uh, to the social determinants and uh, public health uh, outcomes uh, exhibited by minority populations. So those are some of the examples. And, and as healthcare providers, I think it's important that we recognize these exam examples and intervene in any way possible to reduce the social determinants of health and these healthcare disparities. Absolutely, so when we talk about achieving health equity, what does that mean? So, so basically, uh, achieving health equity means that we want all populations, all patient populations, communities, to have basically equitable access to uh, healthcare opportunities, to opportunities to improve uh, their health outcomes, opportunities to undergo uh, routine preventative health exams, uh, access to uh, uh, dental health. Um, you know, a lot of these conditions, uh, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, kidney disease, and even many cancers uh, can be present uh, in any given individual, and that individual may not actually have any signs or symptoms until the late stages. So basically, it just refers to the fact that everybody actually should have equal access to, to health care so that they can maximize uh, their, their health outcomes. Uh, that includes also... Um, access to health literacy education so individuals will understand, you know, the importance of undergoing preventative health screenings. You know, one such example is African-American males, uh, the, the national recommendations from the American Urological Association uh, uh, dictate that African-American males should start screening for prostate cancer at the age of 40, whereas white males, unless they have a strong family history, don't have to start screening until age 55. That, that's an example of health literacy. Uh, many men of color don't know that they need to start screening for prostate cancer earlier. Uh, in fact, many healthcare providers don't know that as well. And, and so it, it's important that we educate the community and, and healthcare providers about 
ways in which we can achieve health equity. And can you share a little bit about what we know about how COVID-19 specifically is affecting our minority populations? Yeah, so initially, um, and this is unfortunate that the CDC um, public health departments um, did not, in many instances, um, when they were screening individuals for, for COVID, not include the individual's race or ethnicity on the data collection form. And so for a while, we thought maybe that African-Americans and other minorities did not contract COVID at uh, as high a rates as the majority population. But later on, when we saw the data on, on race and ethnicity and, and even you know, zip codes, we, we demonstrated, it was demonstrated clearly that African-Americans in particular, other minorities uh, to a lesser extent, but especially African-Americans had a greater incidence of contracting or acquiring the COVID-19 uh, uh, the coronavirus infection, but also had um, greater morbidity, uh, greater percentages of hospitalization, um, and ultimately greater, uh, higher death rates. In the city of Chicago, uh, which I think was the first city that reported on this data, this uh, race-based data, uh, demonstrated that in Chicago, the population in Chicago was about 30% African-Americans yet about 72% 72, 72 of all those individuals who were dying from the coronavirus were African-American. That is a huge disparity. Uh, nationwide now, these statistics uh, show that about 20,000 African-Americans have actually died from COVID-19. Uh, that um, is a remarkable disparity. It represents about 50 out of every 100,000 African-Americans are dying from COVID. Whereas you look at the white population, about 20 per 100,000, Hispanic, uh, Latino populations, Asian Americans are about 23 per 100,000. So you can see that is a remarkable disparity in terms of the incidence and the death rates from COVID. Now, we're starting to understand why uh, that is occurring. Uh, and it's, it's believed to be because African Americans uh, have a greater incidence of pre-existing conditions uh, a greater incidence of health disparities that we've spoken about, diabetes, hypertension, some of these conditions actually result in, <clears throat> in lowering the individual's uh, innate or resting immune system, and thereby that predisposes you know, these populations to a, a greater susceptibility, not only to the coronavirus, but also influenza and other uh, in infectious diseases. So, also, there is evidence that once African-Americans are infected with the coronavirus, um, they have a, a disproportionate or a higher uh, immune response once infected, and that results in, in tissue damage, not only in the lungs, but other parts of the body, the kidneys and other places. And, and that, that's, that's why it's been observed that oftentimes African-Americans who go into ICUs uh, get put on respira respirators, ventilators, uh, more likely are to succumb, die, perish uh, from the coronavirus. So it's believed to be to, related to the existence of pre-existing conditions and healthcare disparities, poor nutrition states, and some of these other healthcare disparities that we talked about that predisposes uh, these minority populations to more susceptibility and a greater death rate from the coronavirus. Yeah, and you alluded to this a little earlier, but is access to testing or treatment also an issue here? So um, initially, Access to testing um, was a component. I, I think um, there was a greater, or there, there was there was actually um, um, less access um, 
that minority communities had uh, with, with respect to testing, um, you know, nationwide. You know, many testing centers uh, and most testing centers require a physician's order uh, for an individual to actually <clears throat> acquire the test or to be have an opportunity to get tested. Um, also, many of the testing centers um, required um, the individual to be able to, to drive up to a testing facility. You know, again, many African-Americans, others may not have uh, an automobile, a vehicle to um, get to the testing center. Uh, a lot of the testing centers were not necessarily located in, in minority communities that were easily accessible. Um, and the other thing is that many minorities were not necessarily aware of what some of the symptoms of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 um, may be. And, and so many individuals may not have recognized that they needed to be tested. Um, so that, that is a, a very uh, a valid point. Um, uh, Dr. or actually Governor Mike DeWine actually has indicated that uh, anybody, or it, his, it, his, it is his wish, executive order, that anybody who wishes to be tested for the coronavirus uh, should be tested. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every hospital or, or testing facility has enough um, testing uh, kits or enough individuals to uh, perform the testing that everybody who wants a test, regardless of symptoms, uh, can get tested. So that, that's one of the uh, things that we're working towards uh, so that everybody who wants or, or needs a test can get tested. Uh, initially, uh, individuals who were asymptomatic um, uh, did not fit the criteria for those to be tested, but now we're trying to expand that. Um, so yeah, access to testing uh, has been a, a, an impediment. Um, it's something that we're working to uh, promote and increase testing locations um, here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, we're working with um, the different hospital systems. We're working with different uh, uh, governmental agencies and other uh, community organizations to, uh, uh, including the, the clergy to provide additional testing centers for everybody. I've heard you talk before about the importance of culturally sensitive communication and how some of the universal advice that we've been hearing about ways to prevent COVID-19 doesn't necessarily take into account some of the nuances in our minority communities. And can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? So yeah, that is very important. Um, the importance of, of cultural sensitivity, cultural competency, um, trying to understand what unconscious biases or implicit biases that we all as healthcare providers um, may have. Um, it, it's very important. Actually, research has shown uh, that um, cultural competency and communication between patients and caregivers is very important in terms of establishing a rapport or trusting relationship um, that's going to lead to improved health outcomes, better compliance on the part of the patient. Um, many patients, not all, not all minorities, um, I'm not suggesting that at all, but many minorities actually prefer to have a racially concordant um, relationship with a physician from the same race or ethnicity uh, to, to lead to better communication, uh, better, better trust. Uh, that, that's one of the things that we recognized um, early on here at Cleveland Clinic with respect to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, we've all seen on, on TV many public service announcements uh, talking about the importance of uh, mitigation strategies to prevent or reduce the spread of COVID, uh, cough etiquette, wearing a mask in, in public, social distancing. I talked about um, many situations where it's more difficult 
for minorities to social distance, uh, transportation issues. Many individuals live in, in crowded living conditions, uh, have are not afforded the opportunity to work from home. And, and recognizing this and the social determinants of health, um, a group of uh, black physicians at, at Cleveland Clinic, uh, probably about 16 of us, uh, we could have actually gotten many more, but um, um, a, a group of us got together and produced a public service announcement, a video and also an audio version. And, and the reason we did that was specifically to try to relate, uh, try to um, engage better um, it, using uh, black doctors to better engage minority African-American uh, populations about what is the important information they need to know about COVID and specifically also to educate them and, and inform them why is it that African-Americans are more likely uh, to get COVID and, and die from COVID. And in our public service announcement, um, we, we also explain to the individuals why it's important and what they can do uh, to avoid contracting COVID and protect themselves and their families. You know, individuals, all individuals, regardless of race or ethnicity, um, when interacting, when healthcare providers interact with them, they, they want to understand why is it that they need to follow a certain treatment regime or, or recommendation. And by producing this public service announcement, the, the black doctors got together to try to explain to the community why it is especially important uh, for African-Americans, other minorities to uh, social distance and use these mitigation, mitigation strategies to the best of their ability. So you mentioned some other conditions where we also see disparities. Can you highlight a couple of those that are kind of top of mind for you right yes. now beyond COVID-19? So, um, you know, beyond COVID-19, um, you know, we see uh, disparities with respect to infant mortality um, nationwide, and, and it's especially uh, prevalent in Cuyahoga County. That's something the uh, Cleveland Clinic is engaged to try to, um, you know, look into to see how we can um, mitigate that. Uh, we see um, a higher incidence of um, other respiratory diseases, higher incidence of lung cancer, uh, late stage presentation of, of many of these conditions, a higher incidence of colorectal cancer. But again, many of these symptoms, you don't have to have any signs or, or, or many of these conditions, you don't have to have any signs or symptoms uh, to exhibit. Um, we see higher rates of diabetes in some instances, in some locations, African-Americans have about an 80% higher rates of diabetes. Nationwide, we have about a 40%, anywhere between a 35 and a 40% incidence of high blood pressure in uh, black populations. The national average only has about a 20 to 25% incidence of hyper uh, of hypertension, high blood pressure, and, and uh, higher incidence of glaucoma, um, stress, anxiety, depression. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and higher incidence of stroke, restroke. In, in 2019, for example, we established our Cleveland Clinic uh, Neurological Institute Minority Stroke Center to address a lot of the disparities that we see in, in the incidence of stroke, uh, stroke recurrence, uh, higher morbidity, mortality from stroke. Uh, we recognize actually there's a higher incidence of Alzheimer's disease in the, in the black uh, population as well. Um, so actually what we're doing to combat a lot of these uh, health disparities, and again, they're, they're prevalent uh, throughout the spectrum, all the different specialties of, of medicine, we're establishing what we call a multicultural health center of excellence which is basically establishing health equity programs uh, in every institute, every department to address a lot of the uh, health disparities that, that are seen in all these different specialty areas. W one of the things that I always stress is that every, everyone should actually establish care with a primary care provider. 
Every child should have a pediatrician uh, to perform routine preventative health screenings so that we, we can actually prevent conditions or treat conditions in early stages so that we don't actually have to see a lot of these healthcare disparities that, that we see. Um, so there are a lot of things that we're, we're trying to do. There are a lot of health disparities that uh, now the, the nation is recognizing. Um, and, and so we all need to come together uh, to eliminate these healthcare disparities. Yeah, so when we talk about addressing and eliminating these disparities, have there been examples of strategies that we know have worked in certain areas or how are we going about approaching that? Sure, well, one program that I'm proud of, uh, we started back in 2003, uh, several years even before that, uh, leading up to establish uh, our annual Minority Men's Health Fair. And this is an opportunity, um, and again, we, we did this, uh, it's a, a men's event because as urologists, uh, our initial target disease was, was eliminating disparities in prostate cancer. Um, but the Minority Men's Health Fair is an opportunity for men of color, but actually, of course, at, at Cleveland Clinic, we, we welcome all patients regardless of race or ethnicity, but we target uh, men of color because of the higher incidence of prostate cancer, other conditions. Opportunity for these individuals to come in for, for free preventative health screenings, health examinations, uh, health education. The first year, 2003, we had about 35 men uh, show up um, to the, the health fair. I thought that was actually a, a great number. Um, now, 18 years later, uh, we've had each year 1,500 to 2,000 men. Uh, now we have four uh, simultaneous locations in Northeast Ohio. Uh, we have about 650 uh, volunteers, Cleveland Clinic uh, caregivers and other caregivers, uh, community organizations coming together to provide these uh, free preventative health screenings and the, and the health fair. So this is a very successful program. I think it's a, I, I, I call it the best, uh, best practice example of, of what we can do to perform community outreach. I call, I call it community outreach for community inreach. Our, our goal is to establish long-term relationships with members of the community, not only to engage them for one day during a health fair, but to engage them um, for their lifespans for um, preventative health care so we can establish an, a, a, a long-term relationship uh, with an internist, a family practitioner, a specialist as needed. I, I say every man should have a urologist also. You know, urologists are specialists who, who deal with diseases of the male reproductive system, the urinary tract, the kidneys, and we work in concert and collaboration with our primary care partners. So our Minority Men's Health Fair or Minority Men's Health Center, which is, was established uh, in 2004, that's a best practice. That's a very successful program where we're available year round for these men to come in to be seen. Um, to undergo preventative health care, urologic care, uh, uh, internal medicine, primary care. Uh, these are just some examples. Uh, Cleveland Clinic is, uh, has a number of other programs led by our Office of Diversity and Inclusion, our Community Relations Department, uh, our Functional Medicine Department. So we're, we're doing a lot here at Cleveland Clinic um, to address a lot of these healthcare disparities. We can't do this in isolation. It requires collaboration, teamwork, and, and partnership with outside organizations. Yeah, and what are some of those outside organizations, or maybe not specifically organizations, but other yeah. parts of our society that need to be involved in solving these problems? Yeah, so the um, we've been very successful in our ability to engage, especially you know African American men, men of color, uh, for our health fair and a minority men's health center, um, and and that actually in in of itself that is very unique. Um, not every health system has been able to to do this to to effectively engage the, these individuals. 
So you have 2,000 men coming in, uh, lining up to uh, get, get prostate exams. It's almost unheard of. And the way in which we've had success is through our partnership with uh, credible organizations. It, it requires actually developing trust within the community, and that trust uh, has been um, facilitated by partnering with, uh, for example, uh, the United Pastors in, in Mission, uh, which is a group of a number of churches, uh, several hundred churches, uh, that come together and they endorse what we're doing. Um, they encourage men to come in to get the screenings. Uh, and, and by the way, I mean, there are a number of uh, women who are referred to my office and, and uh, Dr. Linda Bradley and others at Cleveland Clinic, and we facilitate uh, improved uh, healthcare access and, and, and screenings for women as well. Um, the Urban League, uh, the 100 Black Men, uh, National Kidney Foundation, uh, the Gathering Place, uh, there are other uh, churches, uh, uh, clergy um, that, in, that are involved, uh, city councilman Blaine Griffin, um, uh, councilman Kevin Conwell, uh, Bashir Jones. I mean, a number of individuals have come together in, in partnership. And uh, we have, uh, again, like I said, we have uh, volunteers um, from the uh, Cleveland um, Council of Black Nurses, uh, the Black Professional Association, and we have 650 Cleveland uh, Clinic volunteers and, and others. Uh, coming together to to make our, our health fair uh, the success that it has become. Uh, again, it, it's realization that um, we can't do this in isolation. Our, our numbers grew um, for our health fair after we realized that also in, in the black community, not in all situations, but in, in many, a, a lot of times it's the women who are making a lot of the health care decisions for the families. And, and so we actually went out and had, got an audience with uh, a lot of the women uh, you know, different sororities and other organizations to educate them about what they need to know about, you know, black men's health. And uh, a lot of the men that come to the uh, health fair come by the, uh, I'm not going to say coercion, but I mean, they, they come at the uh, urging of a lot of the women out there. So we, we owe a, a debt of gratitude uh, to the women out there for helping improve and, and save the lives of a lot of the, uh, the black men. How do we measure disparity and know that we're really uh, moving the needle? So it, it's a long-term process. It, it's nothing that we're going to necessarily see overnight. We're not necessarily going to end disparities uh, overnight. It's a long-term process. Um, I, as, as I said, I, I think success is measured also uh, by our ability to engage a certain uh, population that we're trying to engage uh, black men, especially who have the highest incidence of the healthcare disparities of which we've uh, been been speaking. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we can get men to come in, other individuals to come in, um, undergo screenings, provide them with, with health literacy education. Oftentimes, we're never going to know exactly what impact we've had on these, these individuals. Uh, they may come and learn about stroke prevention, prostate cancer, the importance of undergoing a colonoscopy to screen for colorectal cancer. We're not gonna necessarily know that they take action immediately. They may actually decide to take action, could be several months, several, several years uh, down the road. We actually uh, have done market research um, through our, in collaboration with our corporate communications uh, uh, department here at Cleveland Clinic. And we see every year a number of individuals who have never been Cleveland Clinic patients after they come to the health fair, for example, they register to become long-term Cleveland Clinic patients, whether being seen in primary care, urology, or other uh, departments. That is one way in which we can measure it. 
Other ways uh, that we measure it, uh, when we access these patients, uh, for example, uh, patients with diabetes, you know, we can measure a, a blood test, it's called the hemoglobin A1C, and over a period of time, we can see that that is improving. Hemoglobin A1C is a, a measurement of long-term glucose or blood sugar uh, control. Uh, we can follow patients, uh, their, their blood pr pressure, for example, um, our primary care colleagues uh, uh, have different metrics that they, they use to, to measure the effectiveness of our outreach and, and our care. Um, we call it value-based care. And, and so the percentage hypertension control, diabetes control, we can look at the BMI, you know, weight management. There are a number of things we look at to, to measure our effectiveness, effectiveness uh, in terms of uh, community engagement outreach. Um, but, but overall, again, it, it's something that is gonna require persistence, uh, determination. We have to stay with it and continue to develop our programs, continue to perform outreach to engage uh, the community as to why this is all important. We also need to target young kids or, or youth because we're seeing a higher incidence of diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease in, in, our, in our youth. So we need to target them. And also we can't forget about the importance of in, in, including in the equation, the importance of mental health, assessing uh, individuals, uh, an individual's mental health status, uh, their, their stress level, anxiety, because uh, mental health, stress, anxiety, depression actually can translate into physical manifestation of, of certain diseases. So we have to look at the whole patient. Uh, we have to try to understand and, and question them, what are their living conditions so we can assess the, the social determinants of health that may be impacting them. Um, and these are the things that we need to do. So it's not always possible to immediately measure our impact, our, our uh, impact in terms of reducing health disparities, but we have to stick with it. Um, the first step is actually to be able to understand that these disparities exist, that these social determinants of health translate into poorer health outcomes. And then we actually have to be effective in engaging these populations. So it's a multi-step process, uh, but we, we, we know what works and we, we just have to stick with it and continue to do what we know we need to do. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, is there one final takeaway message or a call to action that you want to leave our listeners with maybe who now are coming to understand these issues and really want to participate in the change? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to say that I'm very proud of our caregivers, our leadership here at Cleveland Clinic who understand uh, the importance of addressing these healthcare disparities. Our CEO, Dr. Tom Mihalovic, um, is very supportive. Dr. Cosgrove, our former CEO. Um, Dr. Mihalovic actually uh, recently um, uh, recognized, as did Cleveland City Council, that race and racism uh, play a, a role in terms of the lower public health outcomes exhibited in, in African-American and other minority populations. So I'm very proud of, of also the volunteers here at Cleveland Clinic who have stepped up. I'm, I'm proud that um, there are many like-minded individuals who want to eliminate health disparities. Uh, as I said, we're developing these health equity programs, these centers of excellence uh, throughout our enterprise and all the different institutes and departments. I, I also would like to leave with the audience that one does not have to have an MD degree, a DEO degree, or a RN degree, a nursing degree uh, to be a healthcare provider. 
Cleveland Clinic actually recognized years ago that every employee of Cleveland Clinic is actually a caregiver, a healthcare provider. All it takes is for us to disseminate important information. In some instances, it may be life-saving. Um, when people understand, or if we tell somebody uh, that, hey, you need to go in and get uh, your colonoscopy, you need to go and, and get your prostate checked, you need to go get your blood pressure checked, you need to know what your kidney score is to, to determine whether or not you have any pre-existing kidney disease that could be prevented um, by a health check. So we're all healthcare providers. Uh, you don't have to go to medical school or nursing school for that. Uh, together, we can actually realize an end to these healthcare disparities. Together, we can actually uh, make a difference in combating these social determinants of health. Together, we can end racism that actually contributes to the health disparities that we've, we've discussed. Um, we need to partner with uh, corporate communications, our media uh, affiliates and, and collaborators. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity um, to uh, have been interviewed. Um, you know, your, your attention to this story is actually going to translate into saving lives. We're never gonna know exactly um, what impact it has, but I can assure you uh, individuals are, are going to see this program, this interview, uh, understand about this topic, individuals who have never been exposed or were not aware of, of what we're talking about today. So there are a number of things we can do together and I really appreciate having had the opportunity uh, to be on, on the program, uh, discuss these important topics. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you as well. Thank and you. if you all would like to learn more about the Minority Men's Health Center, visit clevelandclinic.org MMHC. You can also find more podcasts with our Cleveland Clinic experts at clevelandclinic.org slash HEPodcast or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow at Cleveland Clinic, one word, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for more health tips, news, and information. Thanks for tuning in. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.